Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. So I've entitled today's message, Down and Dirty. There's an explanation to that. Tonight, or today, we're going to be talking about the gospel according to the four soils. Jesus' parable of the four soils. And today, as we explore Jesus' parable, it's important for us to realize that this parable is a cornerstone of Jesus' teaching. In this parable, Jesus identifies it as the key to understanding all of his parables. You know, I went through, you know, the majority of my life, I went through Bible college not realizing that the parable of the four soils is essential for understanding all the parables. Mark 4.13, which we'll get to again, Jesus said this. Do you not understand this parable, the parable of the four soils? How then will you understand all the parables? You know, it's so easy to let things slide by, but this is pivotal. Having an accurate understanding of this parable is essential for understanding all of Jesus' parables. It's essential for understanding why God became flesh and what we need to be saved from. That's what we'll be talking about today. In Mark 4, 33 and 34, and with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. There's actually a lot packed in there in those, in those two verses. First of all, it tells us that Jesus taught by parables. He didn't get all the masses together and say, listen, this is the way it is, A, B, C, and speak clearly. Why? Because they couldn't hear it. They couldn't understand it. He told parables, which are stories conveying a veiled moral message. A lot of times they were familiar stories to the people of that day, and he just changed some of, the, some of the aspects of what they were familiar with to get them to think, wait a minute, what's he talking about here? Parables are symbolic as stories, and they're not to be taken literally. If we take the parables literally, we can run into some real serious trouble. Take, for example, the parable of the shrewd businessman. Anyone ever have trouble with that? It seems like Jesus is glorifying taking advantage of your boss and stealing. That's not the moral of that parable, and that's not what we're going to be talking about today. Maybe another day, but not today. It's essential to look deeper than the obvious surface meaning of parables to understand the message Jesus is conveying. In Mark 4, 1 and 2, it says that Jesus began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude came to him, and it was so great, he had to push off in a boat. I think that's kind of neat with the one song that we sang today about, you know, the waves separating us, and Jesus calling from the shore to come to walk on the water to him. And that's his call to each and every one of us. His finished work did everything we need for life and godliness. It revealed that. But we do have a part to play in that. You know, if I'm thirsty, you know, I've got a cup of water there, but it's not going to help me just looking and knowing that I've got a cup of water I have to drink. We still do need to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and this is the promise we will be filled now, the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea, and Jesus taught them many things by parables. And he said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. 
Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root in it, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. And he said to him, to them, he who has ears, let him hear. Now when we look at this parable of face value, it conveys common agricultural knowledge of that day. They all knew what Jesus was talking about. Okay, so what's going on here? There's a deeper meaning. But what is it? Now, perhaps then, as many today understand this parable, communicating, for example, Jesus is a sower, and the seed is God's spoken word and the Bible. Now, I love the spoken word of God, and I love Scripture. I love both of them. Second, the different types of soil represent different types of people and their response to the gospel. You know, that's what I was taught, and maybe that's what, you know, a lot of people here believe today. Some are outright hardened and will reject God's word, and Satan keeps them from receiving it, that there's no possible chance that they will be saved. Then others have a weak faith resulting in them experiencing falling away because of desire for riches, for wealth, because of persecutions that come upon them. Some have a double-minded heart keeping them from experiencing the life God desires for them. Some receive God's word and experience salvation and the resulting fruit. Those are common understandings today. But such thoughts can cause one to question who God declares them to be and cause them to question their security, which rests in Papa's love alone. There's nothing you or I can do to save ourselves. I can't save anyone else. There's only one reason I'm saved, and that's not because of anything I've done. It's because of everything that he has done. Let he who boasts, boast in what? The Lord, not in himself. I suggest there's a better way to understand this parable. Now, the disciples did not understand this parable and later asked Jesus to explain it to them. So isn't it, so it's not unreasonable to suggest that many today, just like the apostles, don't understand this parable the way Jesus presented it. In verse 9, Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying here, the deeper meaning here is hear the deeper meaning of the parable. Hear what the Spirit is saying. Having ears to hear refers to having ears that are able to hear the voice of the Spirit speaking, Holy Spirit. To be able to hear the deeper message of this parable. What prevents one from hearing? It's the ability to hear out of one's union with God, not having that. Instead, they hear from the Adamic mindset passed on from Adam, from his embrace in the lie, and from the mindset of separation that rose out of that, that I'm separated from God. A sin-conscious mentality. And sadly, that's what a lot of the church is focused on, sin-consciousness, instead of being righteous-conscious. I have five children, one son, the oldest, four daughters. And I won't name any names here. (laughs) 
But one of my da- you know, daughters riding with the other one, she always used to complain about the other one driving when they were in high school because whenever there were some cute guys walking alongside the road, what would happen? She'd look and she'd go off the road. Where you're looking is where you will go. If you are focused on sin, which direction are you going to go? Sin. If you're focused on righteousness, if you're focused on Jesus, that is the direction you're going to go. You know, when I came into a realization, I didn't learn this in Bible college, that we have a wrong conceptualization of what sin is. Sin, in the Greek, is derived from the word hamartia, which means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. And the mark that we miss isn't a behavioral mark. It's a heart mark. That's what God looks at. It's the missing our authentic identity, which is created in God's image and God's likeness. The word hamartia is derived from the word meros in the Greek, which means a fragmented part of the whole. It means separation. Sin is being separated from God. Now, how many of you were taught that when Adam sinned, he spiritually died? Pretty much all of us. That's what we were taught. And what does it mean to be spiritually dead? If you talk with people today, and if you ask church people, they're going to say that means you can't hear God's voice, right? You can't see God. God is too holy to look on sin, so he's not going to come to you, right? Now, what happened when Adam and Eve sinned? They heard God calling out to them, right? Wait a minute, they were spiritually dead. The next thing, God was there talking with them face to face. Wait a minute, I thought God was too holy to look on sin. Habakkuk 1.13, read the rest of that verse. Evangelicalism, fundamentalism has forgotten the rest of that verse. The rest of that verse is, So why do you look on sin then? We become a sin-conscious church. Instead, we need to become a Jesus-conscious church, a church focused on the righteousness that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, not because of anything you've done, but because of his finished work and all that he has done. We can choose to live in that. We can choose to be separated. Adam believed the lie, right? And the lie was, you are separated from God, that you have to do something to be like God. Whose image was Adam made in? God's. He was made in his likeness, right? But but Adam's fall changed that. He was no longer God's image. Go to Genesis 9, 6. (laughs) Don't kill your fellow man because your fellow man is made in my image. That never changed. You see, we've misunderstood the parable of the soils, and we've distorted other scripture to come up with some theology that's very much out of alignment with God. Not everyone has ears to accurately hear what Jesus is saying. The reason being is, which ears are we using? Are we using our ears? Or are we using ears that are in union, in oneness with him? We're part of the family of God, right? We're a family. We've got Papa, Father God. We've got our brother, Jesus. We've got Holy Spirit. We're in that family too. The word meros is derived or means a fragmented part of the whole. It's interesting because the word holiness, do you know what that actually means? Whole, complete, 100%. We need to view ourselves as God sees us in one with him. What did Pastor Andy talk about last week? Phenomenal message. Our union in him. Very good message. Are you hearing through Jesus' ears or are you hearing through your ears rooted in the Adamic mindset of separation with God? 
Now we go back to the timing of this parable, Israel's religious leadership, and even the apostles could not hear the words of Jesus' deeper meaning. The apostles, after every parable, again and again when we scour through them, when we look, they needed Jesus to explain the meaning because they did not have ears to hear. They were still focused in their Adamic mindset. And that's what Jesus came to call us out of. Now in verse 10, when Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. When we look at the same account in Luke 8, 9 through 11, Jesus' disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? And he said, it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is not given in parables, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. You know, so often we view the apostles as enlightened ones, but they're just like you and me. They didn't get what Jesus was saying. They needed to be, have it explained. They needed to grow past where they were. They needed to grow in him and their union in him. Though throughout Jesus' ministry, he continued to speak to them in parables. And he continued to explain the deeper meaning to his apostles. Jesus told his disciples the intimate gathering, the apostles, and his most intimate circle. To you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. He said that, right? It was given to them to know, but they didn't understand what he was saying. We take that and say, well, they knew. But no, when you read, they didn't know. It's been given to you to know. And you will know because I'm going to reveal it to you. Jesus explained the meaning to them. They could only understand through Jesus' wisdom rather than their own wisdom and reasoning. They had to hear through the Spirit's ears rather than their own. That's what it means. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus wasn't excluding anyone. What he was saying is, in Adam, you cannot save yourself. You can't reason your way out of the first Adam. Remember I said there's only been two men that have existed. There's the first Adam. And then Paul says there's the last Adam. Two Adams. And Jesus includes us in him. But many have the Adamic mindset where I'm separated from God. And so that's their experience. Now, also, in this parable, Jesus right here, he says, it's been given to you to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So do you know what the theme of this parable is? The kingdom of God. To lose sight of God's kingdom is the focus of this parable. Many understand the kingdom of God relating to to heaven where God resides or an earthly kingdom that's yet to be established. However, Jesus had a different explanation of the kingdom of God that none of them had ever considered. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Now, let's stop there. Did the Pharisees love Jesus or did they not really care for him? They didn't really care for him. When's the timing of the kingdom? What does that tell you about this group of Pharisees? They hated Jesus. They wanted to kill him. Do I have that picture set? These are the ones Jesus is talking to. And he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. It's not something external that you see. You won't say see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Who's he talking to? The Pharisees that wanted to kill him. And he's telling these people before the cross, the kingdom of God is within you. The word within there in the Greek, it can't mean anything else. It doesn't mean it's outside of them. It means it is resting within you. 
But here's a problem. They did not see it. They did not realize it. How many Christians do you know that don't realize the kingdom of God is within them? I went to church all my life. Good portion of that time in churches where people flooded the altars week after week, and I'm not criticizing that practice, but crying out and begging God for release from things that plagued them their entire life and never getting set free from it. Maybe some of you can relate to that. It's that concept of separation. It's that concept that I have to do to receive instead of embracing his finished work. Again, I want to tell you, as he is, so are you in this world. When you look in the mirror every morning, the first thing I encourage you to think about is, good morning, Jesus. That's the first thing to say. Because you're looking at Jesus. Jesus came as who? He came as us. He came to reveal to each and every one of us who we authentically are. So you know something? You mess up. I mess up. We all mess up. When I mess up, I don't have to beg for forgiveness. Instead, what I do is, Jesus, I thank you that you set me free from this. I thank you that you've released me from this. And I thank you that the day is coming when I will totally embrace your reality and I won't deal with this anymore. And you know how fun it is when you check off those things that no longer trouble you and plague you? Kind of like my wife, she loves a checkoff list, getting things done. I love her honey-do list. She makes them and I give her the pleasure of checking them off because she enjoys it so much. And now, you know, moving into a new place, we've got a lot of things on that list. Now, the Pharisees, along with the majority of humanity, if not all, did not realize God's kingdom was within. Instead, they were looking for an external kingdom, just as many still do today. Focused on the second coming and Jesus establishing his kingdom on earth. Now, wait a minute, correct me. Didn't Jesus say, I will never leave you or forsake you? Jesus didn't go anywhere. I don't have to beg for him to return. He's already where? Here. Where is he? Look within. He's in here. And in our lives, he's ruling and reigning. If God's kingdom was within, even those who did not, if God's kingdom was within them, then even those who did not believe at Jesus' hearing before the cross, the kingdom was in them. How could we deny God's kingdom being in us today? The kingdom of God is within you. It's his living breath that he breathed in Adam and in each and every one of us because it's his breath which makes us what? A living soul. Solomon said it this way in Ecclesiastes, when a man dies, the spirit returns to God who gave it. That breath within us, it's our authentic identity. It's his authentic identity, which is the image of his authentic identity living within us in the core of our very being where the lie cannot reach. For we were and are made in God's image and God's likeness. Now, you remember the, uh, Jesus' parable, the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field? Now, Jesus is communicating. The field is us. And I'm going to get there. And hidden in that field where no one could find it is the greatest treasure. What I firmly believe, what Jesus came to save us from, and what Jesus came to restore, and why the Logos, God, emptied himself of his divinity, still being God, emptied himself of all of his power, becoming Adam, became us. 
He came to show us who we authentically are. And John got that revelation when he said, as he is, so are we in this world. It took 300 years for the early church to grasp that message and to come up with some theology about the Trinity and to try to explain God. Such an amazing concept. How can we grasp that? You see, in Jesus' parable of the soils, in all of Jesus' parables, they're all central that his identity is buried and hidden and kept safe from anything that could tarnish it deep within. The parable of the lost sheep. Did this sheep ever cease belonging to the shepherd? It was always a shepherd's even though it was lost. How about the parable of the lost coin? Did it cease belonging to the woman or did it lose its value because it was lost? No. How about the prodigal? Did he cease being his father's son because he went away? No. That identity was in. But in the parable of the lost son, he forgot who he was and he wanted to be made a servant in his father's house. And I want to tell you this day, you are not a servant. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High. Regardless of how you see yourself, that is how God Almighty, Papa, Abba Father sees you. You are his beloved. You are the apple of his eye and nothing in all creation can change that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing in all creation, neither angels nor demons, heights nor depths, the past, the present cannot separate you. You are loved beyond measure. And you know something that's true of every human being that walks this earth. And I believe Jesus came to reveal this simple message. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish. Remain in that Adamic mindset. But embrace, receive eternal life. God did not send his son to condemn the world. to give the world life, to reveal our authentic identity. That's what the gospel's all about. That is a central theme of Christianity. You are God's image. You are God's likeness. You are God's breath. Regardless if you see it, regardless if you don't, God still declares, regardless of your behavior, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my beloved, and nothing can change that, and I am proud of you, and I lift you up, and I rejoice over you with singing, with a song. I love you, I love you, I love you. That is the good news. Anything less than that is not gospel. It's not good news. Do you know twice in Revelation, you are called kings? Revelation 1.6. And he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You're a king. I'm a king. We're all kings. Revelation 5.10. And he has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. The word king in the Greek, it means an absolute monarch. You were made in his image, in his likeness. He's a king, you're a king. Now, let me set this straight. You are not Jehovah God Almighty. What did the Logos do when he became flesh? He emptied himself. And he became us, right? He was still God, but he left something behind, right? He came as the first Adam. And on the cross, he was resurrected with all of us as the last Adam. And there can be no more Adams. He's the ultimate king. But you're a king in his image and his likeness. Every kingdom has a king. Every king is automatically a lord having power, authority, or influence. They're a master, they're a ruler. It's this quality of lordship that distinguishes a king from a president, a prime minister, a mayor, or a governor. 
In fact, a king's lordship makes him different from any other kind of human leader. Kings own the physical domain which they have reign. Now, you remember I just read that we're kings and we will reign on what? The earth? You know what the Hebrews called the earth? Adam. You have everything you need for life and godliness. The power, his power, as his king, as his regent, to rule over every aspect of your life is within. We just don't believe it. No, this is too hard for me. How many things have been too hard for you that you've actually accomplished? Anyone been through that? Yeah, it's in there. Beyond what you could ever imagine, he has empowered you. What you've seen me doing, you will even do greater works than these. But we've prayed over so many people and not seen things happen. You know, the majority of the time I saw people healed was when I prayed for them and I didn't believe it would happen. <laughs> and they got healed. And you know what's even crazier? I was sick. They got healed and I didn't. And what's going on here, God? I remember when I was in Jamaica preaching in a Baptist church that didn't believe in healing and miracles. And after my message, I said, is there anyone here who needs prayer? And this guy came up and he said, I can't hear in my ear. God, why did you do this? Why did you pray for him? I didn't believe anything was going to happen. Next thing I know, he got excited. I can hear, I can hear. The next thing I knew, there was a church of about 120 people. There were like 60, 70 people up around us. There was a team of four of us. An hour later, the other group came, and they had to help praying because we couldn't get through all of them. We could not keep track of the miracles. I saw cataracts dissolve off of eyes. Rheumatoid knees go back to normal size immediately like that. A woman who had not walked for, for four years, living in a shack off the road, got, she got up and walked. You know something? You're a king. You're his image. You're his likeness. Everything you need for God, godliness and life is within you. Let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But you know what happens? We listen to the first Adam. You have to do to be. And because of this, you're disqualified. That's the gospel of the first Adam, which isn't a gospel. It's a gospel of bad news, if such a thing exists. But the gospel of Jesus, the last Adam, is you can. Everything I've done, you can do and even more. Who are you going to believe? In Eden, God gave Adam dominion over the earth. Adam was created as a king ruling over his domain, right? And the last Adam restored that kingship, reaffirmed what God placed in him. Now, in the field, the sower, Jesus, sowed seed. Now, I believe that refers the field that he sowed into was a field of the first Adam which is the field of all of us, individually and corporately. Jesus sowed only one kind of seed, his word, his all-encompassing word. Now, this is not referring to sowing into four kinds of people. That's what I was taught. There's four kinds of people. And let me point out some of the challenges with that thinking. If this were the case the soils would be unable to change if there's only four kinds of people. Those born righteous would always behave righteously, while those born less than righteous would always behave less than righteous. I receive the word, then I fall away. Such is contrary to the gospel. What I believe is the four soils refers to each and every one of our hearts. Each and every one of our kingdoms, which is a field. We all, come on, 
Look at yourself. You have things that you're strong on? Yeah, yeah, look at this, Jesus, look at this. And over here, please don't open that door, Jesus, right? I can remember the old days being in the prophetic movement. And when I went up, you know, it was like, oh, God, please don't let the prophecy this or that. You know, one time I even got a prophecy. God is taking you to the woodshed. That's all I remember from that prophecy from a, a prophet, Kirby Clement, I believe was his name. And, uh, but, oh, my gosh, and everyone was laughing. And then, uh, you know, we were sitting around at dinner after that. I didn't think it was too funny. I laughed with him. But then all of a sudden, Diane got the realization, if I'm going to the woodshed, she's going to the woodshed with me. <laughs> and, you know, the woodshed, it wasn't a time of God's whipping. It was a time of realization and bringing us into the revelation that we now have. And I would gladly go through that again and again and again. Because I tell you this, before when I believed in the total depravity of man and that all my message was is Jesus came to save you from being a depraved sinner and that he's going to do this to you, he's going to torture you, he's going to do that. I didn't like sharing that message. Now that I know the unconditional love of God, I talk to people and I tell them how loved they are, how accepted they are. And, you know, I even had an opportunity where I was talking with someone and God dropped some things in my heart for them, prophetic words. And I didn't know this person. I'm just talking with them. And I said, do you have any spiritual beliefs? I used to say, are you a Christian? But I, I, I don't say that anymore. And she said, yes. And then she hesitated. And she said, I'm a Muslim. <gasps> oh, God. You, did I hear wrong? But I knew what I heard was right on. So I just, you know, I said, I'm just sensing this, and I have to share this over you. And I started talking, and she broke out in tears. She said, I have been going through that, and that is what I needed to hear. God is not a respecter of a person. Isn't that what it says? Okay, wait, okay. I'm getting off uh, topic here, so. In verse 11, okay. Jesus said, it's been given to you to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. He's speaking to his disciples. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables. You know, Jesus there is telling the disciples very politely and very nicely, you're outside, Why? Because they didn't understand. They needed him to explain. The next parable that he tells exactly after this, the parable of the tares, you remember that one? And at the end of it, the the tares are what? Reaped and thrown into the fiery furnace? (laughs) Can you imagine what they were thinking? (laughs) Jesus, explain this parable to us. They were too scared to find out, hey, are you going to send us to the bad place? They didn't get it. They were outside. But Jesus didn't judge them. He didn't criticize them. He loved them. He accepted them into their realization of the kingdom of God within them. But to those outside, all things come in parables. Now, this is a verse right here that greatly troubles people. So that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven. Is Jesus saying he doesn't want most people to perceive or understand or repent or to be forgiven? That's what it seems he's saying. No, what Jesus is saying is, in the eyes they see through and the ears they hear from, which are rooted in the first Adam's mindset of separation from God, separation from union in God, that is what prevents them from seeing, from perceiving, from understanding, repenting, and experiencing release of sin. He's not saying I'm keeping them from it. He's saying they're keeping themselves from it because they are believing the lie. The truth is I love you. The truth is, I've accepted you with an unconditional love. The truth is, I am for you, and I have never been against you. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's exciting. And Jesus said, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? 
You see, this is the key message. And if we don't carry this through every single parable, we're missing it. Because all the parables are about Jesus' ministry, his mission, which was to get us to realize Papa's authentic identity, that he is not a cruel, tyrant, Janus God who has a face of mercy and a face of wrath, that you come to me and you better have my favor lest I smite you. He's not like that. What did Jesus say when they were pounding the nails through his wrists? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The sower sows the word. The sower is Jesus sowing the living word of God's love and purpose into our hearts, telling us who God authentically is and who we authentically are. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. That sounds pretty scary. Now, it's important to understand the fields of long ago. The wayside is a path along the perimeter of the field, as well as the paths within the field, so the sower doesn't trample on the grain and the tilled ground to receive the seed. What do the Hebrews call the ground? Adam. It's the field of our lives. Now, some of the seed falls on the surface of the path, and the birds of the air devour the seed, preventing it from penetrating the soil and germinating. Now, that sounds pretty bad, but Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 in the New Living Translation says this. The rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word. I send it out. It always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. That seed that the birds of the air, that Satan is gobbling up, Not even Satan can prevent it from accomplishing God's purpose. Now, when we look at all the gospel accounts regarding the birds, Matthew refers to them as the wicked one. The word uh, ponos in the Greek, or poneros, which is from the Greek word ponos, which is used in the Septuagint, referring to what Adam brought upon himself, It refers to toilsome, worrisome labor. You know, that's a good analogy for the law. You do this or you die, right? And if you do it worse, worse things are going to come to you, right? Mark refers to it as Satan. Now, the wicked one, that's an adjective, it's not a noun, so it's describing a behavior. Satan, it means adversary, and it is a noun. How many adversaries did Israel have? You know, Jesus said their greatest adversary was the law. (laughs) So to the Jews, the law was their Satan. I'm not saying there isn't a Satan. I do believe there's a Satan. How many different adversaries do you have that are coming against you that gobble up the seed that God speaks into your life? But you know something? That seed will destroy Annihilate that adversary that's keeping you from receiving. Now, uh, in Luke, it's referred to as a devil. And right there, that's, uh, which means accuser, and that's an adjective. So, you know, all bases are covered. The word does its work in all these, which battle against us, destroying every aspect of the lie. And it's resulting in authenticity in us. At the end, all that remains is a clear reflection of authentic identity, the likeness of the one whose image we bear. You remember in the Old Testament when it talks about the refiner's fire? And the refiner puts the gold or the silver, whatever it is, in the fire and the dross, the impurities rise to the surface, skims it off, then he cools it down, and then he heats it up again. More impurities rise to the surface, and he skims it off. When does he stop? When he looks in and he sees 
a clear reflection of himself. We're the four soils, all of them. And the birds of the air and all these things are gobbling up the seed and making it unfruitful. And when will it stop? When we embrace our authentic identity, that I am his image, that I am his likeness, that as I am, so are we in this world. The one stone on the stony ground hear the word, immediately receive it. Gladless, they don't have any root in themselves, so they only endure for a short time. Trials or tribulations, persecutions arise for the word's sake, and they stumble, scandal them, they take offense at it. The word joy, it's the word kara, which is what the root word of grace. It's this joy that's in them, and then when the persecution comes, they take offense at the joy they had. The one sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the cares of the world, apathumia, is what it talks about, which is the word that's translated wrath, but actually thumia, it means uh, it's an intense orge, which is passion mixed with grief and desire and longing. And it's like there's this longing, this desire for the things of the world. They choke the word, make it unfruitful. But the one sown on good ground, hear the word, and produce a crop 30, 60, 100-fold. Okay. Now, it's interesting when it talks about the seed that falls on the, thorn, uh, in the thorns, the word in the Greek there, merimna, which the things of the world that pull us away, that's a derivative of the word meros, which means separation. It's all the same story. But the good news is the seed produces its desired result, God's desired result. Now, some seed produces 30, 60, or 100 full what was sown. When you look at the Greek language, the language here means actual percentages, decimal equivalents of 100%. Now, does God make some people more and other people less fruitful? I don't believe that. I don't believe that one bit. Is some seed more potent than other seed? No, because it was one seed. And Jesus' living word, God's living word, is not impotent in any way. You know what's limiting? The produce? It's the other types of soil, which God is, is, is tilling and, and whatever the word you would use for gardening, but making, uh, fertilizing it. None of us are entirely good or entirely bad in our behaviors. We each do things that are positive and things that are negative. But what John says is that when we see him, we'll be like him. The parable of the four soils reveals the purpose of Jesus' ministry, sowing his word of his love and promise into the field of humanity. And his word does not return to him void. It accomplishes his purpose. Jesus came to reveal the Father in whose image we are made, and in doing so, he revealed our authentic identity in him as well. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen but a God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He, Jesus, has revealed God to us. Jesus came to reveal the true God not a false God to us. 1 John 4, 17, as he is in this world. And in conclusion, as you look at the soil of your heart and others' hearts, I want to encourage you, when you look at yourself, instead of seeing the negativity, instead of seeing the sin, instead of seeing the shortcoming, see Jesus, whose ultimate power is in you. His word, which does not return to him, void, is in you. And look to that to produce the life that he desires. Look for the God that's for you and not against you. Look to the God who calls the things that are not as though they are. I am my father's son. The prodigal's father would not even entertain hearing any of his repentance or sins. He said, my son who was lost, who was dead, is found. Put my ring on him. Clothe him in my best garments. And he embraced him 
with the filth that was still on him, looking past that because he loved his son. God loves you, and nothing can separate you from that. The next level I take this to is when I look at Jesus now, instead of seeing him only as God sitting in heaven, I see him as God the Logos that emptied himself, as Paul described, becoming flesh, becoming us, becoming the last Adam. I am not in the first Adam, and actually I've never been in the first Adam. I only falsely believed I was. I am my father's son, as he is, so am I in this world. When I see Jesus, I'm looking in the mirror. I see God becoming us, so in seeing him, we could realize and embrace that we are God's image and likeness. Just as the emptied logos became us while fully remaining Father's image and Father's likeness. The apostles said, the writers of the New Testament said, He is the image, the exact representation. He's the icon. He's the very character of God. And if that's true of Him, that's true of you as well, regardless of what stage you're in, regardless of what you're suffering or experiencing or enduring. Look and call forth, speak to the well of your heart and say, spring up a well. The kingdom of God is within and it is flooding through my entire being and it is flooding into the world around me. I believe this is what Jesus was communicating in John 14, 6. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus isn't giving a formula that you need to believe in a special special religious belief in order to be saved. What he's saying is you need to embrace your authentic identity, that you are God's image, that you are God's likeness, and that nothing can change that. It's time to celebrate Jesus' finished work and its result in us and others, revealing our perfect oneness and oneness. And, and union and God and each other. Hallelujah. And Father, I want to thank you for this time that we've had today. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you will never leave us nor forsake us. I thank you that you are always for us, toward us, and not against us. Even when Jesus drew all that Adam introduced in the world onto himself. You could not disown your own. You died on the cross with him along with Holy Spirit and resurrected as one. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells where? deal with the other three soils let us remember that it's your strength and your power dwelling within that gives us the victory amen be blessed have a great day for more information about faith city church please go to faithcity.tv as always we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our lord and savior jesus christ